We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Always on the cutting edge, while Euros deliver goals, Arsenal chase center backs. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's right. The Euros... Quite entertaining, it turns out. Lots of goals, lots of excitement. So Arsenal, always ready to buck a trend. Always ready to deliver something a little different to the world of football. We're chasing center backs, baby. And we're going to talk about Arsenal chasing center backs, and in particular, Ben White. I don't think that's where I want to start, though. I think where I do want to start is um, is with the Ericsson stuff, just real quick, because I think it certainly deserves a mention. Although, I will mention that we talked about it briefly on the Euro Daily. So, if you are following the Euros or kind of want to get into the Euros and, and need an entry point, uh, Phil Costa is really brilliant about the stuff. He's got an encyclopedic knowledge of European football, and he brings that to a podcast hosted by me for reasons that remain a mystery. But that is, in fact, what's happening. Hopefully, uh, Clive and Tim and Paul will make appearances on it as well. But every day, full time of the last game, we sit down and record and about 45 minutes later, have an episode out for you. So you can look for that on the main feed. So you've probably been seeing it already. And thanks if you're giving it a listen. Tomorrow is the official announcement of uh, the event in Las Vegas, the 20th to the 22nd of August at the Win. Uh, there'll be a discount code for rooms if you want to stay there, but you're certainly free to stay anywhere you want. It will be a free event. There will be... Uh, transfer presentations, live podcasts, football broadcasters, former players, all kinds of stuff. But most importantly, all of us, Arsenal fans, um, Arsenal America getting involved as well. And I just couldn't be happier to finally be getting together with some people, uh, especially, for example, like Clive and Paul and Scott and Jessica Black. Um, and some of my friends through the Arsenal community that I've made over the years, like Tim Clark and Dave Meekum. So just a lot of really good people will be there. Uh, Matt Giant Gunner will be there. I'm just really excited to do it. And, uh, and I hope that many of you listening will join us. We'll have more information on that officially tomorrow. When the website goes up, you can register and we can all just plan to see each other uh, this summer. And that will actually be the second week of the season. So there'll be football, watch parties and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, uh, Tim's on Twitter. Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Tim, you're the lone member of the, of the group that won't be able to make it. And I understand why not, but uh, I will miss you. But I hope that I will see you in London sometime soon, preferably at an actual Arsenal game. So something to look forward indeed, to. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Clive, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. You I will be seeing, my friend, and I, I, I have to tell you, I have mm. a plan. I've got an iPad, 
and I'm going to be following you around with the Clive video I made from the live stream and just have that playing on a loop behind you wherever you go. Yeah, government restrictions allowing. Mm. We'll see what's happening. I think as long as you say it's for work, they, they let you in. And I mean, yeah. you know, talking to me is clearly work, so that qualifies. Um, <laughs> let's start with this. Tim, I don't want to do... It's hard, right? Because in a way, just discussing the Christian Erickson situation is in a sense sensationalizing and making content out of a situation that doesn't need to be turned into content, doesn't need to be sensationalized. Not talking about it feels like an omission. So trying to do this Mm. the right way where you hit all the right notes is difficult. I think for me, all I want to say is it was terribly scary. It was a grotesque scene. It was something that also brought out some beautiful moments of humanity that were great to see. But in the end, the most important thing and the only thing I take away from it is the man lived. He, he is yeah. alive. He can be with his family. He can be with his friends. And setting his football career aside, um, you know, reading reports that he was joking with his teammates, just phenomenal. A happy ending to a scary story. And while it is easy to have plenty of thoughts about how broadcasters handle it or, or social media people handled it, that's all really trivial because what matters is a man's life was nearly lost on the pitch. And thankfully, thank God, it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the the presence of the defibrillator saved his life. And um, I've I've got a good friend who is in a very similar position, um, had a heart attack in his 20s, and he was saved by the fact that it happened to him at work. And he was saved by the fact that there was a defibrillator on the premises. Um, And so if there is some good to come out of this, then hopefully, um, you know, increased presence and awareness of defibrillators and what they do. Um, is absolutely essential. I, I think um, maybe talking about the reaction to it, and, and I mean that in like a positive way, I, I didn't actually see it unfold, and I'm really glad I didn't. I started watching the game, and then I had something to do, and then I turned the game back on during what well what was actually half-time, and it was immediately apparent that something... Um, something really bad had happened, and it took a little while to work out what it was. But um, I, I think... In those moments, I guess, like the humanity of it um, comes back to you. And, you know, it would have been a very triggering event for a lot of people. Um, I I spoke to my mum straight away. Uh, My father died of a heart attack when I was a baby. So it's quite triggering. Yeah, yeah. So quite triggering for her to see because she literally, you know, she saw my father collapse um, and there wasn't a defibrillator on hand. So but but it's also I, I was listening to um, the Guardian Football Weekly. They did a, a podcast um, talking about it, and it, it was actually really quite touching. They had the discussion about why is it that as football fans we feel so connected to footballers, you know, because a lot, a lot of like, why do we all feel like? Obviously, it's it's terrible, and it brings you face to face with mortality. And no matter how much. Um, you know how much you know that it can kind of happen to anyone you still you still just don't expect it to happen to a super fit 29 year old elite athlete um you know during an actual match um so all of those things are, are quite shocking about it but you know they just had like what i thought was quite a touching discussion about why do we feel so close to these these people that we don't actually know and it made me reflect on things like when you're in the stand at a football game and you're you know you're shouting encouragement at your players or maybe even abuse at your players um not not something i'd ever do obviously um but how informally we refer to players and it made me think of i don't know why the first thing that came to my head was like um you know when thierry Henry was playing for arsenal and everyone calling him tell and like as if (laughs) 
as if like you know we know these people intimately and calling Vieira Paddy um, and things like that and you know oh come on Paddy fuck's sake and you know just feeling this like this closeness to people that you've never met which which in one way and and sometimes that can translate in in inappropriate and 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 I guess sometimes quite intense ways but but really it's lovely that we feel so close to these footballers and as much as um things like I guess um dissatisfaction with the amount they're paid and the disconnects that that creates that we still feel this immense humanity um for footballers and hearing things like the Denmark and Finland uh fans chanting his name back and forth and things like that you know just um, sometimes that 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 just that sense of humanity, not just humanity, but <clears throat> there is somehow there is something about football that adds something to that humanity. And and maybe it's wrong, but compared to if you see a person in the street that you don't know collapsing, um, there, there's just something about it being a footballer and someone that you feel intimate with, even though you've never met them. That that actually brings out quite a lot of um, I think beauty, I guess, in these moments. Mm. And, and I think it's nice to be able to focus on that because we we live in a moment right now where I think, especially on social media, the tendency is to find the person who said the worst thing and make that the story. Yeah. And even though there were millions of people saying and chanting and participating and doing the right thing to the extent that there's a right thing to do, whether it's the fans on the ground chanting, you know, back and forth, um, you know, Christian, then Erickson. Uh, throwing the Finnish flags there to create a privacy screen, the players surrounding him, the people sharing great articles about how to perform CPR and how to find a, a defibrillator, lots of goodness. There is a tendency to say, look at this person using it to spread a conspiracy theory, or look at this person using it in this way and focus on that negative. Um, but in general, I think if we're if we're smart and really look at it, we can see that there's a lot of goodness in these moments and it usually drowns out the rest of it. And so I, I love that you've chosen to focus on that aspect of it. And I think we're able to do that in part because it has a quote, happy ending. Now, look, I, I acknowledge mm -hmm. there's some road to recovery and diagnosis that's required here. And we don't know what that will be, but the simple fact that he has his life uh, ahead of him is, is, is a happy ending given where it was and what we know mm -hmm. about the circumstances. I, I will say, Tim, I'm, obviously flabbergasted to hear about your father and I'm desperately sorry about that. And I, you know, I'm, I just, I'm very sorry. I did not know that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I, that's I, fine. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Um, Clive, the, yeah, for me, the, the teachable moments about CPR and about, uh, defibrillators. My wife was an emergency medical technician, an EMT at one point in her life and, you know, knows all of that stuff. And it gives me a, a great degree of confidence with two kids in the house, knowing that my wife has that training, but it just, it certainly makes you realize how important it is to know these things because you can literally save someone's life. Um, I, I don't want to get into the speculation about how hard the players are pushed and all of that. I'm just kind of curious what your reaction was though, both to the event and then also to, UEFA putting out a statement, you know, within almost 30 minutes of it saying, here's when the game's going to resume. I, you know, I understand that there's no good solution there, but it felt particularly classless. I, I just, I have to believe that there was another alternative to what they chose to do. So I'm wondering how you reacted to both the event and their decision to carry on with the game. Yeah. So on the event, I mean, I was just at my football club, so a bit disconnected from the TV and sort of seeing something happening from like 10 yards away sort of thing. So, and he suddenly realised it's something serious. And we've seen this before, haven't we, with Fabrice Mambo in there. The importance of defibrillators is, is, is huge. And 
it's actually the level that I do football at, and the level it's called step four level. You have to have a defibrillator at the ground, and there's a petition going around the FA now to make sure defib is there for at all ground at all grassroots clubs. And I think it's really important. And you obviously you recognise when it's really important. It literally does save lives because fourteen hundred quid. Every grassroots club should have one if they can possibly afford it, and that's what they're trying to do now. It literally saves this young man's life, and in the end, it is that's the only thing that really, really counts. And on the other side of things, and I don't, we don't know what happened, we don't know what the root cause is, but I couldn't help but think about player welfare. You know, it's something that's been in my mind for a long time, and I'm always talking about it on this podcast because I, I just think there's too much football. Um, we're about to go into a World Cup next winter. I mean, I don't know what degree heat. You know, there was this... I know the Super League got smashed out of the ground because it was poorly thought through. But really, it was an attack on UEFA. It was an attack on how many games people have to play. It was an attack on that. But it got hijacked into, you know, the whole pyramid side of things. And I get it. But whenever there's something like this happens, you ask yourself, okay, money's the big motivator, but there's another motivator here. And we'll we'll hear this throughout next year. We will hear about the increased Champions League. We will hear about friendlies. We will hear about international games. We will hear about this going forward for the next couple of years. And I'm not saying that was the cause of this one, but there is something in the back of my head saying we have to start thinking about our football players, you know, in a, in a different way. Or we're going to have a different sport in front of us where we're literally having different teams appearing week on week and we can't have the people playing 38 games. It's just the injury and the stress on the bodies and the stress of the of the occasion, the exposure that each of these young men are going through on the pitch and off the pitch. I just worry about sustainability without good periods of rest. But um, like I say, I'm not saying that's a cause on this one, but I do think player welfare is going to come up more and more and more and the stresses of UEFA, FIFA pulling against each other on the same subset of players it's just going to have a breaking point right? so um, so yeah very very sad situation and but also in the end hopefully a positive situation where he can recover um, his, you know, just get back to his normal life whether he'll play football again I'm not sure but yeah it looked a really dark moment and and this, hopefully there's going to be a positive on the back of it. Yeah. And I mean, eh, the good news is we don't, you know, we don't see a lot of this in football. I mean, Fabrice Muamba is the, the last one that I'm aware of. I mean, there may have been others at other levels of football, but certainly at this level of football, it's, it's not a common occurrence. And I think it is the kind of thing that unfortunately – it can ha- saying it can happen to anyone is not what I mean, but I guess there doesn't necessarily have to be a football specific or career specific cause. It can be very specific to that person, that individual, and uh, those will be things for doctors to determine. Certainly not us. So, you know what? A happy ending. That that I think is where we can leave the conversation. There, a happy ending for a person who gets to carry on with life and and hopefully have a long and fruitful and happy life beyond it. So. Uh, very happy to hear it, and we can thankfully move on and talk football uh, without it feeling quite so macabre, which is great. So um, that gives us a chance to talk about something that often is a macabre topic, but wasn't on this occasion. That's England, and uh, Clive, I'll stay with you. Um, look, you know that I rise above conversations about lineups; that that is not where I like to focus my attention. 
But it was interesting watching from the sidelines as England fans debated the lineup. And I just sat there yeah. with, with the calmness saying, not a thing I would participate in. I kid. I, I love a lineup debate. Southgate winds up being vindicated because the performance is pretty good and the result is very good. Some head scratchers, I thought. Obviously, Sancho being left out is one that you look at and you say, that guy's not good enough to get in your match day squad, but so be it. Um, I can't help but come away from this thinking that it's going to be a squad game for England at this tournament, that there will be games where, you know, the players who started this one don't start other ones, but on the day it worked. So rather than uh, giving you a question that you ignore, I will just say, <laughs> hey, Clive, what I'm about England? Ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting um, team selection, shall we say. Uh, I was pleased that Sterling's died. Um, I did hear today that he's had something like... He'd been involved in 17 of the last 19 England goals or something ridiculous like that. So he, for me, he's he's a game-breaker. If you look at a lot of the goals that England score, he's the one that always, particularly the first goal, he's always involved in some way or form because he takes he has brave movements in behind. And it's quite interesting, actually, because in the Euros 2016, I think he was, when Sterling played in those games, there was a really lack of tactical understanding as to why he was playing. And everybody wanted him out of the team. But now four years, five years later, everyone's talking about we need some speed in behind. You know, we need sprinters and creators. And I'm sort of smiling to myself because hmm. the analysis on the, on the TV is getting better. And that's bringing some fans with it. So there wasn't total uproar that he wasn't playing. And the golden boy, Jack Grealish, didn't start. But as soon as he missed a chance, I think Jack Grealish was shown running up and down the sideline, the hero in waiting. So I was glad that Sterling started and the rest of the team picked itself. I was not sure about Phillips um, ah, playing ahead of Rice. I thought, well, you know what, maybe swap that around. I think Rice has got a bit more energy and Phillips is used to playing six. And I thought maybe swap that around. But you know what, that was proven completely wrong because Phillips was tip-top. And then there was the <laughs> the um, the other left-back player, what's his name, Trippier, Trippier, I think Kieratini then. Trippier, I couldn't see this one. I couldn't see this one at all, but you know, so I had a good read around today, and the way that Southgate used both the fullbacks inverted was quite cute, actually, and he really compressed that central zone where Croatia's midfield three were quite dominant, and they pressed him off the ball and made sure that central area was blocked. I thought Southgate had a great day. He protected his weak links. He made sure he smashed their strengths. And he continually kept moving that ball around, continually in behind, first, then drop short, in behind again. I thought it was a very, very good tactical performance without really being Italy good, if you know what I mean, mm. in, in sensationalism. But I, I really enjoyed what I watched and um, had a fantastic day and was drunk out of my mind. So, yeah, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant day. Everything feel better, I find, uh, especially these days when there's plenty of stuff worth numbing, numbing away. But yeah, look, I, I think one of the things, Tim, that is going to get a lot of attention from this game, and rightfully so, is Calvin Phillips. And mm-hmm. you want to be careful in a tournament when a player really announces themselves. Now, I could be wrong. He could have been brilliant all season long. I didn't watch Leeds super closely. I mean, I know he was good for them, and their running stats just look insane because of their their murder ball training, which you can hear more about on Euro 2020 Daily. Um, But yeah, really, really impressive performance. I think, you know, we can all remember a player that went off at a tournament and someone paid a lot of money for them and then they weren't as good as at that tournament. I think Milan Baros once lit up a tournament and never really lit up anything else. But 
Um, for me, Calvin Phillips is the kind of guy you look at and you say, hmm, that's that's the kind yeah. of something in midfield <laughs> that we could ha- have a look at. Uh, is that, when as you were watching him do what he was doing, did Arsenal pop into your mind at all? Yeah, a little bit. I, um, I, I've really liked him um, all season, actually, um, playing for Leeds. He's the one player that Leeds just can't replace. And every time he's been injured for them, because they move, um, I forget the name of the centre-back, uh, whether it's it's Koch or one of the others, um, they move a centre-back out to play there and it's just not the same. They just, he, he, you know, they just don't have that kind of that passing from the base of midfield. But what's interesting about Phillips is he'd never played that position before until Bielsa came along um, at Leeds. He was always a number eight and Bielsa said, no. Nope. You're going to play. Uh, you're going to play number six in my team, and and Phil Phillips was like, really? I've never played there before, and and it's it's another one of those Bielsa stories where for the first few games Phillips was rubbish. There was um again, I think his third game there. Um, this is another thing with Bielsa. He will hook you on thirty minutes if it's not going right, and he did that to Phillips, and he hooked him. Um, after 30 minutes in a game but then he put him back in for the next game he was just like nothing personal wasn't going right we'll work on it but I, I still really see you there and so he you know he didn't do it to humiliate him and he made that very clear and he put him straight back in for the next game and I think he's so key to Leeds but what was interesting here was playing alongside Rice was he revived that number eight role and uh, there was a point in the first half where he got caught offside actually because it was him running beyond Kane and um and what what England there there are a few patterns England had a uh, few overloads they created which were really really intelligent so on the left they had Mason Mount kind of drifting over to the left so that Sterling could go central and then on on the right with Foden um they were cre- they were just dragging that fullback out and just creating space for Phillips to run into into that right channel where he plays the through ball to Sterling um for the winner and and also. Um, it didn't escape my attention that he played that pass comfortably on his left foot, even though he's right-footed. Uh, so big tick there. But yeah, I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And he's someone that I think, you know, sometimes um, you get, you know, a player comes comes up from the championship or something and they play well for a bit and you think, yeah, but is, is it just a bit of a flash in the pan? Could he do it under another manager other than Bielsa? But I've always thought, and, and I think there are a lot of Leeds players like that, but not Phillips. I've always, I say always, but since I became aware of him about 18 months ago, I thought, no, this looks like a really interesting player. And I thought what was really interesting about the performance as well is there's this kind of tension about Southgate playing quote unquote two DMs um, and how like negative that's supposed to be. But actually Phillips played that role in a very adventurous way. Yeah. And I think England should be really happy by the way, right now that they've got guys like Bielsa and Pep Guardiola coaching Really important players for the national team because that certainly can't hurt. Tim, real quick, I I think if you said to me you have to script a scenario for England, I want good things for England. I like rooting for England. The perfect scenario for me is a, England wins a lot with the Spurs participants looking terrible and Harry Kane <laughs> being really, really bad in a game that England played pretty well and won is pretty much a 10 out of 10 bullseye for me on what I'd want as an outcome. So did that help you enjoy the game that Kane winds up faking injury after a bad miss in a game that England win? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it Again, that's that's quite because I've got no doubts, right, that against Czech Republic and Scotland, Kane will, will probably fill his boots and he's the penalty taker. So I'm certain he'll score. I, I think... Um, I think he's the reason that Grealish can't play. I I think because he drops deep. 
Yeah, yeah, I think they get in each other's way. And also, I don't think you can have Grealish and Foden. If you're going to have Kane coming out, you've got to have that Sterling um, or Sancho or Rashford running in behind. I, I, I think Grealish is a magnificent player and he's so unlucky because in pretty much any other era, he would, he'd be the star, let alone in that team. But I just think Foden might be um, the spectre that kind of ruins Grealish's international career but Kane as well because he he likes to come short and and that just worked a little bit better um on this occasion but yeah I've look he's he'll he'll flat track bully a bit which I I don't say pejoratively because that's what good strikers do um and the first time there's like if he hasn't scored by like half time against Scotland every free kick will be taken by him um, you know he'll start he'll start playing for penalties and and things like that. So um, yeah, but I I I I think it's interesting because I'm not sure how much Kane fits in this team if that makes sense. But maybe a bit like Aubameyang at Arsenal, you know, you think mm, the actual team we've constructed probably doesn't suit Aubameyang, but he's so good you have to play him. And I kind of think that's the same with with Kane in England. Yeah, <clears throat> look, I. I, I hope this pattern continues. England win. Kane looks bad. I can live with that. Um, worth noting that uh, relating to Scotland, Kieran Tierney missed the game with a niggle. Supposedly going to be all right, but I'll tell you, that is an issue, and it's one we're going to have to track because I, as important as Kieran Tierney is for us, if he's going to be the kind of player that we just never know if he's going to be available, I think it is really hard to build your team where a critical player is... Um, is just not is regularly not available. So one to keep an eye on. Clyde, before we move on from England, a lot of players that could come in and still play a big, big role in this tournament. The Sancho thing breaks my brain, and I, I do think that there are England managers and, and England fans and just people in general who have an out-of-sight, out-of-mind attitude about players that aren't in the Premier League. But Jude Bellingham gets in, you know, young player playing in the Bundesliga and playing well. Great to see that. Jaden Sancho, maybe, maybe, maybe still lingering issues about fitness that that have him just on the outside looking in. He's a player that I would love to see get in because I, I think maybe he is underappreciated in England in terms of how good he is. I think he has a shout. Where is this? Yep. Where is this Sancho love come from, mate? Explain to me. Do you want me to get the spreadsheet out? Because in terms of just yeah, raw data, this is. A, I mean, he has a goal, <laughs> and a, a goal and assist every eighty minutes in, in in the Bundesliga. He is. I'll put it to you this way. There is no player playing for England, statistically, that has done what Sancho has done. No one. Not not Sterling. I mean, Kane, Kane has. Fine, but nobody likes Kane. Not, not Sterling, not Foden, not Mount, not any of them. Sancho eclipses all of them. Now, again, it's in the Bundesliga, and you could say, oh, Farmers League, or whatever criminal thing we need to say about other leagues to, to make us feel better about the Premier League. And, I'm, and again, I'm not saying that Sancho should walk into this team candidly, I still think Sterling might be the best England player. He's just had a bit of a down season. But, like, he is someone who certainly would have a shout to get into any team in the world and might go for $100 million this summer for a reason. Clive, they're not, they're not paying $100 million for him because he's maybe almost as good as Phil Foden. I mean, he is that good. So... But but for you, that wasn't. Be, he he could know. be Neymar good if he he could be Neymar good. I mean, he's got that skill in him. He can he can stop people, start people. He can he's got um, incredible creative vision, particularly around the one on ones. Really, really smart about how he beats people. And but I honestly believe, and I said this maybe last week, that people see him as a right sider, and I don't. I see him as a left sider. The way he plays, he wants the ball to feet. 
So we've always spoken about Sterling and Rashford as our two sprinters in behind. We're trying to fit a team around Harry Kane offensively. Foden wants it to feet. He can dart a little bit, but it's combination play. Sancho doesn't want to run in behind. He wants the ball to feet. And so no matter what your skill set says or what the spreadsheet says, it's about your attributes. And one of the, one of the attacking attributes is penetration. And he does, he's not a penetration player off the ball. I felt in this game that Southgate picked a very good off-the-ball team. That's what he picked. Really good pressers, good energy. And Sancho and Grealish are not your energy pressers. Right? So Harry Kane's not really, but he's Harry Kane, right? So he's King Harry. Harry plays. Right? So Sancho and <laughs> and Grealish must be really, they really must be hoping that for some reason Calvert-Lewin plays because he's their centre-forward because he runs the channels and he wins the first ball. You can play off of him. But he's not a sure scorer like Harry Kane, but attribute-wise, he allows room for the players being behind to do their thing. And So you're not relying on having stretchers on the sides because you've got a stretcher up front, down the middle, similar style to um, the guy at Villa who I've just lost his name. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's all about attributes. And I think if Man United are going to buy Sancho, they're going to play him on the right. I think it's a mistake. I'm going to say it now. He's much better in a 10. Of course, they've got Fernandez and they've got Pogba who can do that role. And he's much better off the left. And of course, they've got Rashford who can do that role. And Martial, who prefers off the left. There's a, there's a logjam coming. Uh, Mark, if they buy him, there's a problem coming, I'll tell you now. And it's about getting that guy in the right place for him. Got great ability, but it's team balance and attributes for that team. And there are other players who are untouchable that are affecting his time on the pitch. And this is what happens against Scotland when inches count. Team are setting a deep block. And it really is about inches. And I think he can maybe have a role to play then, as will Grealish in that game. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, I want to be clear, Clive. I'm not saying that any of these guys, probably other than Kane, as much as it pains me to say it, have a right to start. I think not being in the team is is pretty wild. That's really it. And, you know, again, I don't want to make this a Elliot Reed's numbers off FB ref, so you can just go there if you want and look at Sancho's numbers, and they are, I mean, it's it's bananas. He's just been absolutely yeah, a, a force of nature. Yeah. Um, a good player, but yeah. there is there is things about the, the how he plays and the team he plays for, and there is influence and responsibility that he has in that team, which gives him some of those numbers. I I think there's a player there, but I don't think we found him yet. I honestly believe there's more to come. If he can up his physicality and intensity, he could be anything he wants. He needs his move back to the Premier League, in my opinion, to get more out of him. And I really think that. Yeah, well, we, we shall see. And I mean, look, the, the crazy thing is, whether it's Bellingham coming on or Sancho not in the team or Grealish not in getting a start or Saka, you know, who I love, but I, you know, I think it's fair to say maybe not quite at that level yet. You look around Dominic Calvert-Lewin, the future is so bright and exciting for England. And dare I say a generation of players I could be kind of excited to root for that don't really have that. I don't know. They don't have that effect on me that the John Terry's and Lampard's and Gerrard's of the world had and Rooney's. Maybe they will develop that over time. And maybe it's unfortunately a sign of where Arsenal are that we just don't feel in the picture enough to really feel like any of these players are our rivals in a serious way, which is a pretty dour and sad way to shift our focus to Arsenal. So I suggest we do it. Um, but before we do it, Clive, you enjoying the tournament? Loving it. It has been good. I agree. Tim, uh, you enjoying the tournament? Yeah, absolutely. 
It's been a good one so far, hasn't it? Really good. And, uh, you know, you know what group England are in? Anyone? Uh, are they in D? Mm, I never, t- I never they're paid in, any attention. They're in D. Clive? Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> yes, I know that. You, you, know, you know the best way to take care of D? There's only one no, way God. to take care of group D. That's with the lawnmower. Come on, everybody. Get with me. Come on. You had to see that coming a mile away. Oh, man. Oh, what's he doing? Did he really go there? He did really go there. And I hope you will go there right there with your lawnmower 4.0. Come on. Vegas is coming up. Those of you who are coming, we're getting to that big moment. I've always promised this is it. Um, it's a Euro 2020 package. <laughs> There's another double entendre. My friends, manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. You know you want to do it. You can get the lawnmower. You can get the weed whacker. Do you know 78% of people polled said that long nose hair was a turnoff? And their partner. I would like to know what the 22% of people who said long hair was not a turnoff. Was it a turn on? I don't know. You know what? If you're in that group, then you don't need the weed whacker. Still need the lawnmower, though. Anyway, they got all kinds of stuff. The perfect package kit. You get the lawnmower. You get the weed whacker. You get all their tonics and potions and a nice little um, kit uh, to take it all with you to Vegas with you or wherever you're going or just in your home. Uh, you get free shipping and 20% off worldwide. When you go to manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. What's that website, you ask? It's manscaped.com. What's that promo code, you ask? It's ArsenalVision. You should do it because these segues are only going to get worse. That's my threat to you. Get on it. Clive, is that enough? Sure is, mate. Come on. Let's go. Group D. (laughs) Group D. I mean, what are the odds that England would wind up in Group D giving me the perfect... And horrible, let's be honest, segue into that that advertisement. Uh, but there it is, and it's all done. Okay, I want to devote the rest of this podcast to Elliot Yells at Cloud. Old man, I guess I am old enough now to be old man yells at Cloud. Guys, I, I'm usually so, so sad when Paul's not here. But I'm going to get Paul on a special episode to yell at me about how wrong I am about the take you're about to get from me. But before I give you my wrong take, I want to get a chance to get some right takes on the record. So, Tim, I will start with you. Arsenal are, it says here, chasing a center back. Currently, we are linked with Ben White for 40 or 50 Mm. million pounds. So, you know, just a snip, just go get a 40, 50 million pound center back for a team that seems to have a massive problem scoring goals into the opposition net. Not so much with the goals that go into their own net, but whatever, what do I know? I'm just an American. I should stick to baseball. So tell me why I should be thrilled that we are chasing 40 to 50 million pound rated Ben White. Yeah, I'm a bit confused about this one as well, which is not a slight on the player per se. And and I understand, by the way, some of the arguments about, um, you know, I, I tweeted something uh, when the story uh, broke about look, we scored 55 goals last season and had the third best defense. Uh, you know, that that doesn't mean I think our defense is perfect. It wasn't the problem. And, and look, I'm, a, I'm alive to the arguments that, you know, about um, improving and things like that. Yes, definitely. I'm also alive to the arguments about how we progress the ball out of defense um, can be key to the attack. Yep, totally alive to that. We've lost the really good ball progressor in David Louise. Um, but but it's like William Saliba does that quite well <laughs> as well, um, I thought. And it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting how there's been um, quite a switch in the Arsenal fan base in the last couple of years because a few years ago, being linked to anyone for 40 to 50 million pounds, we'd be going, yes, we're showing ambitions. We're getting a good player, money. finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and an England international. And, and he does look a good player to me, and he can play in midfield as well. I can see how he fits in and everything. But now it's very much like, 
is this a good use of our resources when we need like a whole new midfield and we're really bad at scoring goals and you know our two main strikers are in their 30s like is this where we want to be spending all of that money and particularly when we've already got a centre-half um, for £28 million who has basically never played for us. So, and, and I think the reason that people are so, that we're so invested in the Saliba deal, um, I don't mean that literally, well, Arsenal are literally <laughs> invested in the yeah. Saliba deal, but the reason the fans are quite emotionally invested in it is not necessarily because we all watch... William Saliba every single week and think he's brilliant. It's just his signing was meant to signal, you know, it was, was meant to herald the outsmarting the market era was about, you know, um, uncovering the Van Dyke before he cost you 80 million pounds. And, and, you know, there, there was a lot of competition for his signature and we were able to get it. And, and it just, it just made you think, okay, may, maybe we're doing something smart now. We're investing in young talent. And so to kind of, uh, I mean, there is. I don't think there's any way you can read into this anything other than this is bad for Saliba um, to buy a guy who's 18 months older than him and who's had one season in the Premier League, so he's not vastly experienced. It'd be a long-term signing. There's just no way you can sell that as anything other than um, bad for William Saliba. And that's you know, and and that in the ordinary run of things, that's kind of fine I, I want the better player i suppose but it just begs a lot of questions about that deal there's lots of stuff we don't know there i think about the deal and about what's going on behind the scenes and that's that's what's quite and that's and look ultimately when you don't know stuff you speculate and the timber of that speculation will be informed by how you feel about the club. And most people don't feel very good about the club or the intelligence of it at the moment. And so, therefore, the speculation is naturally going to quite a dark place. But I'm I'm looking at midfield and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Ruben Neves, however much people like him, whatever, that's like, yeah, that's that's like we need a player there makes sense to be linked with someone for 40 to 50 million there. So a centre back, I don't really get, um, I'll just leave, I'll just finish this with a stat. There are nine players in the current squad who are contracted to Arsenal beyond 2023. Five of them are defenders. So going for a 23 year old to add that to six like that. Yeah. Again, it, it just rings some alarm bells in the squad building, um, kind of arena. Yeah, look, I've said this before. I want to say it again because I think it is relevant. When you are making the argument that is less supported by the evidence, I feel you have more of the burden of proof. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you want to make the argument that Arsenal are smart and know what they're doing and we're well run, I think the burden of proof is on you to show why that's the case, not the other way around. Because when you have a fourth place slash fifth place wage bill, which we've had over the last couple seasons, and you finish eighth in consecutive seasons. That is, in my view, a priori evidence that the club is poorly run. You don't finish in eighth in consecutive seasons unless there are major problems. Now, we know some of the problems. It's not, And this is where I do think there's a defense. Yes, it's poorly run, but it was poorly run by Ivan Gazidis and Unai Emery and Raul Sanyehi, and that the people who are running it now are a different group, and they deserve the benefit of the doubt. I'm not sure they deserve the benefit of the doubt. I certainly will say that they have a bit of a blank slate, sort of. There's still some things that have me shaking my head. 
Um, but we will certainly see. This summer will tell us a lot, I think. But the other issue that I want to point to is simply this. If you told me that Stan Kroenke was going to invest 300 million pounds in players this summer, then buy Ben White for 50 million pounds. Who cares? If you're Manchester City and money doesn't matter, why would I get upset about having another good player? But if you tell me that we have finite resources, which I have no reason to believe we don't, then I would say, my God, I can build us a pretty good squad if I can allocate 40 or 50 million pounds somewhere else where it can do more for us. You know, the goal isn't to just acquire good players. The goal is to build a squad that can win. And the defense has assets. It has players that can be used to get us where we need to go next. Mm -hmm. There are other parts of the pitch that don't. And I'd like to see that addressed. And I'll get more specific about the Saliba thing in a moment because I don't want to do it all in one big rant because people will just hit fast forward. and uh, I want to make it harder for you to miss it. So, Clive, I mean, look, the things are linked. There's no way they cannot be linked because Ben White is being looked at at right center back. He's a young, talented, very good, very expensive right center back. And we have another young, very good, very expensive right center back. The difference is we already own one. You know, it's like if we were looking at buying Saliba for 30 million or Ben White for 40 million and you said, I prefer Ben White, I would say, I can see that argument. But we can buy Saliba for 0 million because we already own him and we're already paying him. This is an additional expenditure. We're not choosing between Saliba and White. We are choosing to spend 40 million more to add Ben White when we already have Saliba. Now, I'll get into whether he can be used or not in a moment, but how do you feel about this tactically in terms of deploying our resources this way? Yeah, well, if it's about resources, then I can't really discuss it, really, because it's obvious that we haven't shown good use of resources for many, many years. I read somewhere that we, in the last 30 players that we've bought, we have made a profit on, it, on any one of those players. I mean, mm. we do some silly things, and I'm buying and selling, so we know that, and I'm not going to relitigate it. Um, with Ben White, again, it's rumour, so rumour shouldn't drive process, really, just Totally rumor. agree. Yep, that's we well had, said. We had, mm -hmm. ta we had Taps over the other week. We had Jules Kunde the other week, um, and we discussed those on the podcast, and... So yeah, I'm I'm just chilling at the moment with these rumours because um, most of the key people at the club have got their own bracelet on at the moment. I don't believe I don't believe this stuff really. Um, ben White is a footballer; he's quite an interesting footballer, I will say. Um, I don't think he's a tip-top centre back in the two. I think he's good. I think he's a John Stones type centre back. He really can dribble and carry that ball. He's played CDM for Leeds when he was there a year before last and was tremendous carrying the ball out. He's played right centre-back in three. If also going to three at the back, well, he could be the central player, no problem at all. And that could be a complete change, but I know that's not going to cheer you up, Elliot. And then we've got a situation where he also plays right back. So are we buying a player, if we were to get him, are we buying a three-in-one player that can play a number of roles? Sleba also spent most of his last six months playing left centre back, so you could speculate what does this mean for someone like Pablo Marie? Maybe you know. Um, I was given another scenario, or Rob Holding was minutes away from going to Newcastle last season right, for twenty million on loan with a twenty million buy, so that could re reignite itself. Is his contract situation? So if you're going to take the rumor and then really try to think it through, like I did for Cedric. <laughs> thinking through and try to create a scenario which suits the club and suits my head. There are other things that we could do with him tactically because he is a very good footballer. 
there are two other centre backs at um, Brighton that if you want a pure centre back, one called Webster, one called Dunk. Webster is a player I really like. Actually, he's really quick and strong, and you know, from a pure centre back point of view, he could be you know a, a better option. But um, but yeah, Ben White is got a top level future. He's a proper footballing technician that is going to hit a top four, top six club in his career. Do I want to see Arsenal buy him? Not sure, to be honest, Elliot. I'm not sure. Um, I want Saliba to be who I think he could be. You know, that's what I really want. I want him to be the player that you know reaches all expectations. But I just, well, first things first, I wouldn't mind just seeing him. You know, with the first team players around him, <clears throat> that's that what I nice? want to see. <laughs> just see him. Just see him, so we can all judge him. At the moment, we are getting upset about a player we've never really seen in an Arsenal shirt. We get upset about his pathway. We get upset about his treatment. We don't know how he's coping. We don't know where he is physically. We think he's getting better. He looks good in France. There's so many unknowns here that I'm not going to get upset about here. But once I see him on the grass, you know, an Arsenal shirt, I can really see it then. And I look forward to that day to watch that young man play. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one thing that I want to just be very, very clear about, there are people that say, you know, Arteta's job is on the line and he can't trust his job to a 20-year-old center back. That's the wrong reason to do anything. As a club, you should not be letting important resource decisions be driven by the fact that a manager is scared of losing his job. Because let's say Arteta's like, no, I, I can't trust a 20-year-old. I need $40 million on Ben White because I'm scared what will happen otherwise. And he still doesn't win, and he winds up getting sacked in December. And now you don't have Saliba and you got 40 million pound Ben White and you're hiring a new coach is like, well, I would have been fine with Saliba. You don't you don't want to make big resource decisions based on a manager basically saying, like, I'm scared to lose my job otherwise. Here's what I think is also kind of weird. A lot of people saying, oh, Saliba's 20, he's unproven. What is proven? What is proven? Arteta's job was saved by an unproven 20-year-old named Emil Smith Rowe, who played his first really important start for us against Chelsea with everything seemingly on the line that day and saved maybe it may be hyperbole but it feels safe to me to say he saved Arteta's job there's an irony to me about people saying oh come on you know Saliba's young and you can't trust him and he's only played in France when like the players that actually dragged us through last season were 19 year old Saka and a 20 year old Smith Rowe and to some extent Martinelli and a little bit of a young guy in Odegaard and the, the senior pros who were, hey, we're signing uh, Willian because he's reliable and Cedric because he's reliable. Well, the guys like Willian and Aubameyang and Cedric, they didn't do anything for us last season. It was the young guys that, if anything, you know, a lot of people say, well, our season wasn't very good, but whatever we had, we had because of the young guys. So the irony is here we are. Once again, saying, no, 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 we need, you know, we can't trust him. Look, William Saliba is an incredibly highly rated player. We rated him high enough to go spend big to get him. He's been highly rated by everybody. All the scouting community people say he's good. All the France League on watchers say he's good. There may be some disagreement. Oh, he's not perfect. Of course he's not perfect. None of them are. His teammate of the same age of his who wasn't rated as highly as him started the whole season for Leicester last season. It worked out fine. No transfer is a guarantee. But we spent money on him. We identified the talent. He certainly seems to have proven wherever he's gone so far that he's at the level. What is our reasoning for not giving him the chance now? Not saying we're going to put this guy into our central defense. And if you say, well, because it's a risk, well, I'd submit to you they're all a risk. 
And Willian proved that to us last season. Aubameyang proved it to us. They are all a risk. But he's jumped every hurdle he needed to so far. We invested a lot of money in him. And to just flush that down the drain to go spend more money on a guy who, oh, by the way, isn't a guarantee either. The idea that Ben White will come in and he is a sure thing to be a 10 out of 10 every week, that doesn't make sense either. So I understand why Ben White might be a good thing to have. And I understand why you might say, well, why can't we have both? And like I said, if we're spending 250 million pounds this summer, then sure, let's have both. But the idea that there is no path for Saliba to get in and that it's somehow some huge risk is ironic to me in a team that just proved last season that the most exciting and most effective parts of the team were guys that were risks, young guys. Tim, I don't... Uh, Clive, and I definitely bring you back in on this, so we'll, 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 we'll each get another, another go at this. Again, to be clear... We're basing this off rumors, but there have been enough rumors linking us with center backs now that it seems to me that right center back is a target. And the comments on Saliba have been lukewarm enough that I I don't feel that he is necessarily what Arteta wants. Mm-hmm. I can't arrive at a conclusion where our reasoning for this is based on Saliba as a player. I just feel that maybe nice. something happened between Saliba and Arteta, and Arteta said, you know what, I, this is not a guy I want to work with. And by the way, I'm not yeah. saying that to stick... The knife in Arteta. That's just where what I think is the case because nothing else really makes sense to me. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if we're talking about risk at centre-half, um, the first half of Arteta's reign, Mustafi started at right centre-back. And for the second half, it's been David Luiz. So I, I don't think risk is, is the problem in the right centre-back. I, I mean, you know, maybe you could turn that around and say, well, yeah, it is because he keeps playing with, he's had to play with risky players there. But do you know what I mean? Those, those were experienced players and they were not risk-free I, I agree with you I, I think something else um, has gone on here uh, it, it simply must have because I can't make head nor tail of it I mean I, I guess the the other thing I'd say on this is that this is where surely the technical director should be stepping in you know to your point about you know the the manager and I understand why managers look after their their short terms um, it makes complete sense for them to do so um, but this is where the technical director surely steps in and says, no, nope, because, you know, William Saliba, if everything goes right, William Saliba is going to be here longer than you are. Um, and if he's not, then he should make us a fuck ton of money. So, you, you know, you are more expendable than him in a way. But even like a semi-engaged owner would be saying, well, hang on, we hired you. This is something we just spent money on. Like this, that's the job work with it like you're meant to be like this great coach and that's why we appointed you so that you could eke more out of the assets we already had like we didn't hire Mikel Arteta to go and spend 50 million on centre-backs and burn 30 million centre-backs that's not what at least I assume not like if you want to do that hire Ancelotti Uh, Ancelotti will do that for you that's no problem um, you know, we hired you because because you're cheap and because you're this great young coach. So it it does seem quite weird. Um, and and you know, again, a semi engaged owner would say things like, "I noticed you spent all this money on Willian, uh, salary wise, and he's not doing anything. And I noticed <laughs> yeah. that you decided to give Aubameyang a big new contract, and he's not done anything. And you know, uh, these questions should add, add up really." Um, but, you know, we don't have a semi-engaged ownership, so um, the dysfunction will continue, I imagine. Yeah, I, and like, I 
I don't want to stick the boot in too hard just because it is rumor. And like ultimately we could wind up buying, you know, Awar and Max Aarons and, you know, I don't I don't know, uh, Kamavinga or something crazy good and then not get a center back at all. And everyone goes, oh, and you pissed and moaned about this and it never happened. And Saliba started on opening day. So I, I want to put the caveat in place that we are reacting to rumors and taking from those rumors what our reaction to the rumors is while recognizing that they may not reflect reality. But I also think... You know, as a general credit to the people doing the reporting, I would think there's something to it. Clive, the the Saliba thing is a, is a tricky one. And I know there are people that say you can't just trust your next season to a 20-year-old right center back. But I think this is how it works in football. You know, like there are people that would have said you can't trust your midfield post-invincibles to a, an 18-year-old central midfielder. And people would have said you can't trust your right wing to a 19-year-old right winger. And people that would have said you can't trust your 10 to a 20-year-old player who's only ever played for Huddersfield. You know, if, if Smith Rowe wasn't a huge gamble coming off alone to Huddersfield, why is William Saliba, having really excelled at every place he's been and shown that he can do it and been highly regarded, I'm not saying he's perfect, none of these guys are perfect. David Luiz wasn't perfect. You know, I mean, Mustafi wasn't perfect. That's the irony. We bought Mustafi, middle of his prime, highly rated. Data loved him, lots of money, total failure. It can go wrong, but why not give this guy the chance? And if the reason is because the coach is scared to do it, to me, that's that's not a sufficient reason. That's not how the club should run. <laughs> a lot of conjecture there, Elliot. Really. <laughs> well, I, I said that that was my intro to the whole thing. The whole thing is conjecture. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, a lot you know, of conjecture. We don't know because there, was, there there is a line out there that's also been written by the same respected journalists that Sleeper's going to get his chance this year in the first team. He's going to be in the squad, and it's all about what he does in preseason. Can, can I, I can I stop that, you and ask you just a super big question, super quick question about that, which is. Do you do you read from the quotes that Saliba genuinely is going to get his chance? I have to admit, I thought the quotes felt a little kind of milk toast, a little. There was, there was a lot of love in there, was there in those no. in those yeah. quotes, man? And I I read them too that way, and I thought, oh, come on, man, we're we're all excited, but he does the same with Martelli, doesn't he? He doesn't really show him a lot of love until the point that we actually say to the press conference, "Look, guys, I love him more than all of you." You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. again, he doesn't show Pepe a lot of love. But he ended up end of the season in a good place, and but he doesn't get credit for that development per se. But I don't think he should do for playing William. But there you go. Um, so yeah, he has a way of um, extracting talent from these younger players who who are talented, right? So I, I'm I'm in a position where I don't think we can critique Arteta for for playing young players or not playing them. I think he plays more young players than any of his counterparts. I don't think any Spurs played one single player under the age of 21 in their league season. Not one. Right? Not one minute. Right, so, and we are right up there. We are right up there. In fact, you know, my opinion is we play them too much, but you know my thoughts. But, you know, playing young players is not an issue for, for Arsenal. And there's another one coming. I think he's can. I think he should have a natural concern that too many young players, you can damage them psychologically if they're in the wrong situation. And he wants to protect them and sometimes overly protecting, particularly Martelli, maybe by a month or so. He overly protected him, but the player's now playing for Brazil. He's got a summer of playing football in the Olympics. He comes back. You know, we just have to trust, really. And we will all know soon enough. We will all know soon enough. When that guy steps on the pitch for the first time and plays with a Gabriel in a proper back four, a right back, and a first team midfielder where he can pass the ball to, we will all know what he's got. You know, and then 
he will dictate the future. You know, he will dictate it. If Ben White comes or Kunde comes or Tapsoba comes, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Adamico centre backs. But you know, uh, suddenly those rumours gone real quiet. You know, mm. Neves' rumours gone very quiet. You know, they said there's no bid coming from Arsenal for him. It's gone quiet. So I like the fact that the analysts at Arsenal are selecting these types of players because they're all good players, but we're not sure of what, who's going to go, who's going to arrive, what system we're going to play. We're not sure of any of this stuff. So I'm I'm still in the I'm excited mode at the moment about the type of players we're being linked. And when they come in, we can start to formulate teams in our mind and formulate hierarchies in our mind and formulate how we're going to play in our mind. And, and I love that stuff. I'm not going to critique anybody based on the rumor because it's just a rumor at the moment. Yeah. And right. Like, I mean, look, it is Clive. <laughs> it is the, the challenge that we have to. The spirit of spirit of Paul was rushing through me. right? Yeah, I no, I, I hear no, no. I, and, and this is the hard part. I fully acknowledge that what I am giving you is my opinion of what it would mean if these rumors represent our genuine thought process and approach oh, while acknowledging that's the case mate. It, you and Tim are bang on right, right that's the right. case and and then I would this. also that's say we are a bit once bitten twice shy on this stuff right we've had a cavalcade of morons rotating in and out of the the club I have always felt that when an organization has the right people in place one of the ways you know it is they don't wind up using a lot of consultants and outside people I think the fact that Arsenal are so reliant on people that are only tangentially related to the club right now and being hired on sort of a consultation basis is really endemic of a lack of confidence in and uh, you know proper recruitment of people that are really qualified to do a lot of these jobs. Um, you know, we have headhunters finding scouts, and we have um, uh, you know lawyers, non-executive directing, and you know just a lot of a lot of consultation going on to try to get the job done, but. Again, with rumors, you can always wind up looking really foolish because we could pull off a fantastic summer where we hit all the right notes. I guess, Tim, I just finished with this. Um, I, I think where I fall on the whole player recruitment situation is I try not to get too connected to the specific player because any mm-hmm. player can arrive and be better than you expected or worse, right? Like nobody thought Gabriel Martinelli would be this good. Nobody thought, even myself that Willian would be that bad. Um, I didn't like the deal from a process standpoint. And so I want to be clear with the Saliba thing. I'm not saying I know that if Saliba plays, it will work. I'm just saying that from a process standpoint, none of these things are guarantees. So I try to look at it and I say, are we using our very unfortunately limited resources in the way that lets us most efficiently build a squad that addresses where our weaknesses are and, and progress back up the table while also acknowledging that, look, we've done a lot of really dumb stuff over the past few years, so that does weigh on my decision-making. But how do you feel about the idea that it isn't really so much about the individual talent identification or or name or performance, but more trying to look at the process and see if it has a, a coherent internal logic that if you do it enough should yield positive results? 100% that's it. I, I don't think... Most people, anyway, are saying uh, William Sleeper is definitely brilliant, and the next Van Dyke and Ben White is rubbish. I don't, no, I yeah. don't really see people saying that. You're right; it's much more about, you know, process, and and um, you know, I, I think you make a really good point about 
um, experience and things like that. I know like sometimes we have these discussions on the podcast, like soft factors, to what extent do they, they definitely exist, but to what extent uh, momentum, to what extent is that a thing? Again, I definitely think it's a thing that exists, but you know, is it just something we retrofit and, and there are people who are dubious about these things. My one's experience. Um, I think it's the most overrated attribute in football, which is not to say that it isn't, which is not to say it's totally useless or doesn't exist in certain scenarios. Um, I actually think in international football, it's much more, uh, much more of a thing than it is in club football. I, and I, I kind of worry um, when, and, and to, be fair, as Clive says, you know, Arteta has had no issues so far integrating young players, but they've been certain types of young players. So, you know, Saka, Smith Rowe, these are guys with high football IQ. They don't play like 19, 20 year olds. They, they play much older. Um, and so it kind of, I guess, remains to be seen what Arteta does with, you know, more raw talent um, like Martinelli, um, for example. Um, how does he harness that rawness and polish off some of the rough edges and not all of the rough edges? And and maybe that's, you know, that's the thing with Saliba. He maybe I, I don't I haven't seen enough of him to know, but maybe he looks like a good 20 year old centre back rather than, you know, a guy who's 20, but actually plays like a 25, 26 year old. And to what extent is he willing to work with that? Um, but but 100 percent is about process. And that, that's, you know, that's exactly what I was saying initially that, that you know, that there's been a shift in the fan base from spend some fucking money to, OK, we spent quite a bit over the last few years and we've gotten quite a lot worse as a result. So, um, you know, I guess we've opened that bracket now of spend some fucking money, but please do it sensibly. And. We, 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 you know, this, we just, we don't have a lot of faith at the moment. And, you, you know, you kind of said that maybe Edu and Arteta have a blank slate. I mean, I, I don't think they do because of Willian and Cedric. I think it's as simple as that. Um, which, again, is not to say Arsenal haven't done good things in the market over the last couple of years um, as well. And maybe we're guilty of ignoring, like, um, value for money that we've got from Leno, for example, or Tierney um, or players like that. Um, and and or maybe Gabriel, um, for example, or Mari. Like these, are, these are all kind of VFM signings, um, and I guess the, the kind we want to see more of. But um, yeah, th- this is totally, I think, a process issue and not an issue of um, rating Saliba versus White so much. Yeah, well said. I mean, I get, again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. The decision isn't should we go get William Saliba or go get Ben White. The decision is. We have a lot of money and time invested in Saliba. We have him on a reasonable wage, and we have him at a good age, and he's highly rated, and he's achieved everything he's been asked of so far, wherever he's gone, and we already own him. Or we can go spend an additional 40 to $50 million to get a guy that's presumably going to be used instead of him and then have to figure out what to do with him. And so it isn't which one do you prefer. It's do you want to spend 40 million additional pounds getting another right center back? And presumably we'd then sell someone. Maybe it's holding that goes. Maybe it is Saliba that goes. And I guess if you could get 35 million pounds back for Saliba right now, which maybe you actually could, and then you just swap it for Ben White because Arteta prefers him, you know, I mean, maybe then you just shrug and say, you know, it is what it is. We went with the guy the manager likes better and we got our money back. So... We'll have to see how it plays out. I think Clive's point is the important one, which is the appropriate amount of outrage based on rumors is 
very, very outraged, but not actually taking the pitchforks to the Emirates. And that's the balance you need to strike. A smooth hour-long podcast from the Arsenal Vision, guys. What do you know? That's where we're going to leave it, though, because there's still a Euro 2020 Daily coming later. So uh, I get to put my mic time onto my punch card. Uh, Clive sent me a punch card machine that I have to punch every time I come to this room. Thanks for that, Clive. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Sorbetta. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Roxy Harris, happy birthday, my friend. The man who uh, came up with the music for the Arsenal Vision podcast has actually sent over music for... Um, the Euro 2020. So Roxy Arms, let be, let's be free. You will hear that music for Euro 2020 daily. Um, also a, a great guitarist uh, named Mac Douglas did the guitar uh, for that track too. And that's coming up. But happy birthday, Roxy. And thanks for the music. So tomorrow is a big day. We got the announcement of the Vegas event. Can't wait for that. Um, and also the Euros roll on and we will have more podcasts and just generally be here to yell and scream about transfer rumors like totally sane, normal people. And with that having been said, we love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, transfer window nil.